the Titans have lost their eighth road game in a row, falling 20-6 to in Tampa Bay. We are going to break it all down right now. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And thanks to everyone who's tuning in for this one because we expect a lower audience because that's what happens when the Titans lose and especially when they lose horribly, which they did in an embarrassing 20-6 to loss in Tampa Bay. We are recording this immediately after the conclusion of the game, so... If anything else has come out since we aren't listening to Vrabel's post-game presser, we're just going to break down this game right now. Justin, how's it going? Doing all right, I guess. Uh, totally lifeless performance from the Titans, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Some things to get into there. Of course, everyone, you know, we'll continue on to talk about Will Levis. We'll talk about the offensive line, some of the changes. I want to touch on some of the, the, the lineup changes that I wasn't expecting that sort of struck me as curious. Uh, but other than that, oh, and by the way, for everyone watching on YouTube, you probably noticed my background looks different. I have not been kidnapped or anything. Uh, I had a, a bit of a family day here today. I'm at my in-laws. And uh, so recording this on the fly for you, even though the Titans suck, uh, we're going out of my way to interrupt my family day. I'm doing this to the detriment of my family, as some people <laughs> might remember that quote and what it's from. But uh, uh, not a lot to talk about here. Really just a lifeless, lifeless performance. Yeah, the Titans offense was so bad as a whole that it's hard to even get a read or an evaluation on how Will Levis played in this game. He was under constant fire, finished the game 19 of 39, under 50% completion, 199 yards, just 5.1 yards per attempt with the one interception, took four sacks for 32 yards, uh, lost on those. Derrick Henry, 11 carries for 24 yards. Tajay Spears, five carries for 18 yards. I mean, it was really just a poor performance all around from everyone on the offensive side of the ball. Kyle Phillips, maybe the only standout performer, three catches for 61 yards, including a 29-yard catch-and-run play. But even he dropped a potential second one of those on the, later in that drive. Right after he had the the long catch-and-run screen, they went back to him a couple plays later, and he dropped it. So I don't know. What positives to take away from this game? Andre Dillard left early on with what appeared to be a concussion, was replaced by Dylan Raidens. Raidens immediately comes in the game and goes back-to-back false start penalties against him. So he played, I think, pretty well overall. I think he played better than Andre Dillard and probably needs to be given a shot, as we've been saying for weeks now, to be the starting left tackle for probably the rest of this season. But I think where this is all heading, Justin, is Titans fall to 3-6, and six. They're moving closer and closer to the top of the draft order. I don't really think it matters who the left tackle is this year because that's probably where they go with their first draft pick. I know it's only November. We're already talking draft, but that's the state of the season for the Titans right now. Yeah, I, you're right. Like It doesn't matter who the starting left tackle is for the rest of the year because whoever it is, it's not going to be next year, right? right. That's, that's the overarching theme there on that topic. But I, I will say, uh, you know, he wasn't, Great. He probably wasn't even good, Dylan Radens, but I, I do think he was better than Andre Dillard. That's a really low bar to clear. But the fact that he was a little bit better or better 
Um, kind of frustrating that maybe he didn't get a chance at that position earlier in the season, right? That's sort of my takeaway from that. Um, they go into this game with uh, Andre Dillard at left tackle. They finally put Nicholas Petit-Friere on IR after the re- shoulder injury. Paul Karski was first to report. Uh, of course, you know, Skaronski and Brewer there. And then the right guard was to be to be rated. And then the right tackle, Chris Hubbard's back from concussion. Well, after that early Dillard injury, by the way, Dillard left early, but he found a way to have a couple of terrible plays, right? He got beat on a sack yeah. in the red zone, um, leads with the concussion. Uh, I, I think you had mentioned he probably missed an illegal hands to the face penalty on him on that rep that he still got beat for a sack. And a false uh, start. <laughs> and a false, yeah, well, definitely the false start I noticed immediately. The illegal <laughs> hands I didn't notice on the TV copy, but... Either way, like three bad things on the rep by him. Anyway, th- th- this was the first lineup change that kind of surprised me, and I'll get into a couple others later. But uh, they kick over Raidens to left tackle, which uh, made sense. Doesn't surprise me. They go there instead of Jalen Duncan, right, a six-round rookie who was active. I was a little surprised that they put Andrew Rupsich at right guard uh, instead of Corey Levin, right? Levin's an interior guy. He's, he's played a little bit of guard before. Uh, instead of going with a guy that they've they've liked, right? Like he's played, you know, league average football for them, which you want out of a replacement, you know, type player, a, a backup lineman. They go at Repsich, who they had elevated from the practice squad for this game. I, I don't know if they just wanted to, you know, get a, a read on a young player that they still have hope for or what, but I thought that was a, a peculiar decision. And it wasn't just a Repsich thing. I mean, the whole line played bad, essentially, or most of them did. So I don't think Repsich was to blame further issue or solely to blame. I just thought that was a strange decision, but what, what's, what strikes me and it's probably not the time or place for this conversation, but I think all I kept thinking about is I watched this O-line just hamstrung drive after drive. Like it was terrible, right? Like a shot to the Achilles heel, every drive, as you said, not, not really a great chance to evaluate Will Levis today because of that offensive line. There are other things you can nitpick at. I'm sure Will would love to have some of those throws back nearly intercepted a couple of times that uh, was intercepted once, but he was hit on it. Uh, that interception at that point, you're down. I think it was already 20 to six. You're trying to make something happen, right? There's six minutes left in the game. Like you, you can't just eat that sack, which maybe earlier in the game, you just eat it, but he's trying to get right. the ball out of his hands, trying to make something happen. Anyway, a couple of plays I think he'd like to have back in general, but for the most part, uh, not a performance I'm concerned with, in all honesty, given the rest of the, you know, the, the, the supporting cast around him being so terrible, <laughs> in all honesty. But I think what I kept thinking to it, what I kept coming back to in my mind was, uh, God, it's incredible that this offensive line was so bad last year and they found a way to make it worse. Right. Yeah. Like they, I know, you know, they came into this year, the offseason with limited resources, right? Not a lot of cap space. I get that. But um, they, you know, they tried to improve it, but we never felt that it was going to be improved. You and I, right. I mean, you looked across the board. Sometimes this is simple. Don't let your fandom get in the way and overthink it. Right. Like at left tackle. Okay. You said maybe it was going to be better because Dennis Daly was so bad. That was a fair way to think uh, because of how poor Daly was, but it didn't get better. Right. In fact, it looks like it might've gotten worse, which is hilarious based on how much we hated Daly last year, but you look elsewhere Say what you want about, you know, everyone else. But the Ben Jones uh, was no doubt it got worse losing Ben Jones. And I think Aaron Brewer has been fine at center. But Ben Jones is Ben Jones, right? He's one of their best players for a long time. And then Nate Davis at right guard. I don't think it's been a huge downgrade. 
uh, with Daniel Brunskill, but you sir, I don't, I don't think you got better. I, I, you know, if you look at everything, you factor in the money. Davis probably wasn't worth what he was going to get. I think Brunskill's been better value for dollar, but I, I don't think it's fair to say they got significantly better at the right guard position. They didn't. And then at right tackle, I mean, Chris Hubbard, a veteran journeyman coming in for Petit Friere, like just so much opportunity to try to get this to make this line better. They didn't. It's almost scary because they're going to be tasked with the same thing now, right? Going into this offseason. But you do think they're going to have significantly more resources, right? Like they were in a, they were up against the cap, uh, like, you know, going into this offseason. Going to this next one, they'll have way more cap space. And, you know, a top five pick, it looks like that you'll probably want to use on a left tackle. So there are some more favorable situations. But you are going to be tasked with the same thing, which is revamping this entire thing. Like, I think you could agree, like, if you return – Aaron Brewer is a free agent. If you come back with him and you come back with Brunskill, and of course you're coming back with Skaronsky, like the only way that works is if you get significantly better at both tackle positions. Like even if you get just a little bit better, this offensive line is still bad next year. Like if you're going to run it back with the three interior guys, which again, I think you can make an argument for, but ideally I think you got to get better at the tackle spots and at least bring in some really good competition. You either get better at center or you get better at right guard or you push those guys. Like I don't think you can just run it back and get a little bit better at tackle. No, they need to get significantly better at and I know that's not a bold thing to say, but they've got to get significantly better at tackle because this was just pathetic today. Yeah, it was. I mean, the, the ineptitude, I will say, of the offensive line yeah. pretty much hamstrung the entire offensive attack. Like Will Levis was hit 13 times, sacked four more times, like, what, what can you really ask him to do in this situation? You mentioned the interception. He was hit as he was thrown. Yeah, trying to make a play late in the second half, it felt like because everything else was so bad, Will Levis had to try to play hero ball to elevate the offense around him and just wasn't capable of doing so. The defense from Tampa Bay, credit to them, they were really good. The coverage down the field on DeAndre Hopkins on a few of those shots that had been hitting in the last couple of weeks weren't hitting in this game because just, you know, couldn't get off the coverage and maybe there was a little bit of hand fighting both ways. Could have been flagged for DPI on some, could have been flagged for OPI on some and just no flags came out. I don't mind that. Just trying to hit things down the field, give your guys a chance to go up and make a play and they, this week it just wasn't there. And like I said, credit to the Tampa Bay defense. But I do want to talk, you mentioned some peculiar decisions when it comes to the roster. I want to mention some peculiar decisions when it comes to the coaching staff because Titans get the ball in the early second quarter, like 14.50 left in the second quarter, first and 10 at the Tampa Bay 41-yard line. And they end up, after taking a sack, Levis is able to complete a pass to Chris Moore, who gets it to the 33. So it's fourth and two from the 33-yard line. Go for it. Go for it. What is this I, offense? Yeah. I mean, I know the offensive line has been bad, and it's hard to count on them to even pick up two yards. But I think in this situation, when it was this early in the game, you have a 3-0 lead. You fail to convert. The other team takes the ball at the 33-yard line. That's not. That's pretty decent starting field position for your defense. Instead, Vrabel trots out the field goal unit. Nick Folk has been great this year. So from, from that standpoint, you can see why he would be relying on him to make a 51-yard field goal. But then we hear from the, the broadcasting crew that Nick Folk was missing, was coming up short on everything he was trying from 50-plus in pregame warmups, 
What's going to change when the game actually starts and you got bodies flying around you? This isn't a warm-up anymore. You can't even get it to the field goal post in warm-ups, and you're going to try this 51-yard field goal. Well, after you miss the 51-yard field goal, now Tampa Bay takes over at their own 41-yard line instead of the 33-yard line. So you actually lose eight yards of field position when you could have just gone for that on fourth and two, run one of those little bootleg, roll-out, quick-hitting toss plays, One run one of those uh, read options to with Henry and Levis. You know Levis has the legs to be able to pick it up the way Tannehill did every basically every time they called that play for the last five years four years I, I just don't like the play call there and I'll let you respond to that before I get to my second questionable decision that I didn't like yeah I, I thought that one struck, struck out to me right like anytime you're facing a 50 yard field goal and you choose that instead of like a fourth and two I I, I don't get it right I, and I like you said it but you know I think what probably factors into that decision is you can't block anyone. So, you know, you don't feel great about a passing play. You don't feel great about running Derrick Henry the way that they were. And, 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 and sorry, not to switch topics, but you're probably going to see a lot of stuff on Twitter about Henry versus Spears. Like, I, I don't know what we're doing blaming Henry, really. Like, it hit in the backfield every time he got the ball. Like, just disastrous run blocking up front on every single most Derrick Henry attempt. So, don't do that. But... Uh, anytime you got fourth and short, and uh, you know maybe if it's fourth and one, he changes his mind. But you're talking about one yard there, fourth and short versus a 50, 51 yard field goal on a kicker that, as we know, I mean he's been great this year, but historically speaking, doesn't have the strongest leg. More importantly, as you said, you saw what it looked like in pregame warm up. Uh, I'm I'm gonna take my chances with that fourth down, and you bring up a sneaky good point as well that you also end up losing eight nine yards of field position there. If you go for it, you don't get it. You feel better about them being pinned, um, you know, inside their own thirty essentially than you do with them getting it uh, close to midfield, right? Uh, missing the kick. So uh, that one, I do agree with you, but the next one is even more egregious to me, and I'll let you introduce it. Yeah, the next one. I, I get it from a general standpoint of it's fourth and goal at the Tampa Bay nine yard line, 1254 to play in the fourth. So you're you're down at this point, 17 to three, and it's fourth and goal from the nine. Your red zone offense has been putrid all year. Can you really count on this team to convert a fourth and goal from the nine situation? Probably not. You probably can't, to be completely honest. But what in the hell does kicking a field goal down 17 to three what does that do for you? You go from a two-score game to a two-score game with 12 minutes left. You're going to have to score twice either way. Like, oh, in one scenario, now you only need one touchdown instead of needing two touchdowns. But you also need another field goal and a two-point conversion successful attempt, which that's more things to try to get than if you just go for this at the nine-yard line. If you don't get it, then the again, Tampa Bay takes the ball over at the nine. They have horrible field position. If you're asking your defense to get these stops, which you need to get anyway, because there's only 13 less than 13 minutes left in the game, and you still have to score twice. You kick this field goal and it's 17 to 6, and now your defense has to get a stop anyway. You don't kick the field goal, you go for it. At least the upside is way higher. You make it 17 to 10. You put the pressure back on Tampa Bay's offense to go do something. And now Tampa Bay went and eventually kicked a field goal there. So your field goal just negated that field goal. You still need two touchdowns. So at the end of the day, it was the same as if you didn't get it at all. And then, yeah, sure, then you're down by another touchdown, but your defense is going to need to get those stops regardless of if you score or not because you're still going to have to score again. I'm just over the conservative approach of this coaching staff that it seems like Mike Vrabel is aggressive sporadically, but for the most part, we can point to so many examples where you and I have sat here on this podcast after a Titans game and said, 
Why didn't they go for it? Why didn't they at least try to go for it? You know, if there had been a history of Mike Vrabel going for it in these situations and the offense failing to convert, then maybe we are having different conversations here. But the history says that he never goes for it. Not never, but almost never goes for it. And we're always sitting here second guessing the decision because either the team doesn't get the the defense doesn't get the ball back. Think earlier this season. The defense doesn't get the stop you need. Orleans game, right? Yeah, exactly. Or the the Ravens playoff game from a few years ago, or there's just there's so many examples that come to mind. I think where there was an like, issue. In, was there was one in this Ravens game in London too? I, I think if I remember correctly. Yeah, there was. It's just like it's a constant thing here. And as we spin this discussion off, you're gonna you're gonna talk about this particular play, but I want you to also talk about the larger, the 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 bigger view here, the thirty thousand feet view here. Is Mike Vrabel's seat getting hot? I mean, there's all these rumors connecting him to the Patriots. Are the Titans going to have a new head coach in 2024? Let me touch on the play first. But yeah. um, this one bothered me more, even more than the field goal, in all honesty. It really did, because I, I think at that point, I know you're it, you know, you're from the nine. It's a difficult play to make right on fourth when the ball's got to go to the end zone. That's probably why he did it. But, you know, th- there's enough time in this game. And that's what I think bothers me the most, right? There's 12 minutes left. If you don't get it, that's plenty of time to get two possessions. You've backed them up onto the nine. Like you're, you should get the ball back twice. And on top of it, because you've got them backed up, you know, Tampa nursing a lead, a two score lead there, two touchdown lead. They're probably going to go pretty conservative from their nine yard line. Right. You'd like to think, especially the way, you know, Todd Bowles coaches, you pr- you could probably get that thing back rather quickly. Right. So like you said, the upside is way higher of going for the touchdown there and making it a one score game, putting the onus back on Tampa, swinging momentum in your favor uh, than it is kicking that field goal. And as you, I think tweeted uh, turning a two score game to a two score game, right. <laughs> that, that, that's what I don't understand. Right. It's look, if there was uh, you know, a half left, but you know, 12 minutes left, you got to start going, but it's enough time where if you don't get it, I'm confident I can get the ball back twice. I would, f- they got a quick stop with five minutes left when they turned it over on downs and got the ball back, have that same attitude with 12 minutes left. I can get a quick right. stop and get the ball back. So I don't get it. You're right about Vrabel in, in, in the sense of it's very difficult to predict when he's going to be aggressive, right? It's like he's sporadically aggressive. It, it doesn't make sense. Um, to answer your 30,000 foot, you know, view question. No, I'm still leaning towards no. Do you remember when you asked me a couple of years ago, is AJ Brown going to be traded? And I said, no, but you know, it wouldn't totally shock me. Never say never kind of thing. And I ended up, you know, leaving my, I looked smart for leaving myself an out. Uh, I think I'd leave myself the same out here. Cause no, I don't think his seat is hot. I think, you know, Miss Amy Adams Strunk, I think is a big fan of his. I, I still think he's an outstanding football coach. Um, I think he's one of the best in the league, and I think he'd quickly get another job uh, very quickly. And I think the Titans would be making a mistake, and I think they'd almost certainly downgrade at head coach. I, I really do. So, no, I don't think his seat is warm. The only reason I'm leaving myself an out is not to leave my – it's not simply to leave myself an out. It's because, um, you know, you do have a new general manager, right, that you weren't really – you weren't really involved in hiring uh, and outside the organization hire, you know, does he go to ownership and say, Hey, I'd like an opportunity to hire my own guy because he's the last one in, you know, does, does ownership side with him? Yeah. There's always those, look, you'd be naive, right? Anytime there's a new GM that didn't hire the coach, you'd be naive to not at least acknowledge that possibility I think, and then of course, you're coming off your second losing season in a row here. You're going to be picking 
Yeah, they picked 11 last year, but you're going to be picking essentially top 10 for a second straight year. You know, there are some things there that make you crack the window open. I, I think they'd be making a mistake. Again, I'm, he's a big boy. He's an adult. I'm not going to say none of this is his fault. It's it's his job. But I, I go back to the last couple off seasons and, and, and personnel. I don't know that there's a coach in the league that is winning with this team. I don't think there is. And you would nitpick whoever the coach is, you'd probably find something to nitpick with this roster because the results and would all end up being bad. And there'd be a couple of process driven stuff that we'd point out because we're all frustrated and we're losing and it is what it is. Right. But no, I don't think there's a coach that can win with this roster in the, in the entire NFL. It's a bad, bad roster. We, 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 we hinted at it in the off season, right? This was a bad, bad roster going into this thing. So I don't think any of us are stunned. We're disappointed because anytime you actually get to see it play out, you're going to be disappointed, but I don't think anyone, any of us are stunned and it just goes back again. I, and I hate saying it because it sounds like it absolves Vrabel of all blame. And I don't, again, I don't want to absolve him of all blame because he's an adult and he's got a job to do and he's got to do it. But it just, the reality is it goes back to all the John Robinson mistakes, right? Like it's, yeah. I know it's easy to blame the guy that's not here and you had a whole off season, but you had an off season where you had so much to make up for and you had, didn't have a lot of cap space and you, you know, and you didn't have, all the draft capital that you'd like, you'd probably like to have. Right. So it goes back to all the misses on the O-line, the AJ Brown disaster missing on a couple picks in the secondary. Like it's just, that's why this team is bad. And uh, you, you can't crawl out from under that hole in one off season. You just can't, it's not, it's not very realistic. Right. I think for me, 2024 is a big year because even though you'll be still early in the rebuild, you'll be, you know, you'll have, you would have had an off season where you had a hundred million in cap space and you've got a young quarterback that you think you can build around and you've got to be aggressive in free agency and you got to go get some draft picks that can contribute. So I think next year is the year probably where you need to see serious growth. Uh, but no, I, for me, I, I wouldn't have my Vrabel on the offense. So the only thing I'll say to that point is Rand Carthon's history, you know, director of player personnel, with the Rams in St. Louis, director of pro personnel with the 49ers, director of player personnel, a promotion there, and then finally Titans general manager. He spent a lot of time in St. Louis and San Francisco. He was in St. Louis from 2012 to 2016, with San Francisco from 2017 to 2022. The two head coaches that he worked under during that time, I guess he saw a little bit of the uh, the jeff fisher era ending in san francisco or sorry in in st louis los angeles and then saw the hire of sean mcveigh but my point is he saw the two head coaches that were offensive minded geniuses really offensive geniuses that came in and you know sean mcveigh comes in and turns around a rams team that had not been terrible under jeff fisher i mean seven and nine six and ten seven and nine seven and eight like those are the the seasons that Jeff Fisher had. They're not good, but they're better than what the Titans are going to finish this year, most likely. And then you see um, Sean McVay come in and immediately turn around that team, take him to a Super Bowl in his second season as the head coach. Like Kyle Shanahan, been to multiple Super Bowls. Like maybe Rand Carthon. We don't know much about him. This is his first year as Titans GM. We've never seen him hire a head coach. Never seen him, you know, go after a coaching staff really, because by all accounts, Mike Vrabel assembled the majority of this coaching staff. Does Rand Carthon prefer to work with an offensive-minded head coach, a quarterback guru? Now that you have this guy, Will Levis, that you're excited about, do you want to bring in someone that you think you want to work with him? Like, if Ben Johnson is available in this 
offensive, you know, in this, sorry, in this hiring cycle as like the top offensive guy, which he most likely will be given how the, the Lions season is shaping up. Do you go after Ben Johnson and say, I want this guy to work with my young quarterback? Do you force Mike Vrabel to make changes on the offensive staff again? Not that I think Tim Kelly has been an, a disaster. I don't think he's been amazing, but he's been at least a, above league average, which the Titans didn't have with Todd Downing as an offensive coordinator. So I don't know. I'm just, it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially if all these reports about Vrabel and the Patriots, if something materializes there and you're a team that is you know, strapped for draft capital with no third round pick and no, I think no fifth round, but whatever, they're missing multiple draft picks this upcoming year. If you can get multiple draft picks, including a potential first rounder, a top 10 pick from the Patriots to send Mike Vrabel home to New England and go hire Ben Johnson or somebody similar, like I can't say that wouldn't be an exciting prospect as a Titans fan, because I think I agree with you. Mike Vrabel is a good head coach and he's, he's, generally taken subpar rosters and done more like turned the sum of the parts into greater than the parts themselves, whatever that saying is um, greater than the sum of its parts, whatever the heck the saying is. I think Mike Vrabel has done a lot for the team and like taking them to AFC championship game, taking them to three playoff appearances in what's going to be five years now. Cause they're not making it this year. And my, I mean, we'll see what happens, but they're not likely making it this year. Um, I think we can say that with a little more certainty than we could last week. At the same time, it's like fans are frustrated. This is, like I said, eight road losses in a row. They haven't won a road game since in a year, a full calendar year. They haven't won a road game. They finished last season with seven straight losses. Some of the same issues continue to crop up. This overcommitment to the run game, the predictable run calls, the conservative fourth down calls, the, you know, putting it on the defense to get the ball back and then they can't do it. And he's supposed to be a defensive guy. I don't know. At the same time, you know, the other team only scores 20 points and like you should be in the game when the other team only scores 20 points. The defense, people are going to talk about how the defense couldn't stop the Bucks today. Like, I disagree. The defense stopped them pretty good. 20 to 6. I mean, you only allow 20 points. Sure, Mike Evans goes off. You should be for in the a, game. Yeah, but you should be in the game. You should, with a 20 to 6, you should either be winning at the end of the game or have a chance to go get the game winning touchdown on your final possession and not be down by two scores. I mean, six points is a pathetic effort against a defense that just allowed 470 yards and five touchdowns to a rookie quarterback last week. Granted, CJ Stroud looks like the truth right now, but just a pitiful effort all around. Should we spend a little bit of time talking about Will Levis's performance? I mean, we did a little bit, but I feel like we didn't dive into it. Again, it's just hard to evaluate him. He was under constant pressure. If anything, I give him props for not looking flustered by the end of the game, for not looking like, you know, wasn't seeing ghosts or anything. He was still doing his best to navigate the pocket, trying to take deep shots when that's exactly what the defense wanted him to do because at that point in the game, they're happy to give up the underneath stuff and let time tick off the clock as long as they don't give up a big play down the field. Titans couldn't hit anything down the field. They barely tried to hit anything down the field until they were almost forced to at the very end of the game. They had the one play-action deep shot to Nick Westbrook-Akina that Will Levis slightly overthrew, but also, like, dude, dive for the ball. At least try to dive. At least make it look like you're making an effort to dive for the ball. Nick Westbrook-Akina didn't do that, so I don't think it would have been complete anyway, but at least dive for the ball. Come on, go, go try to help your quarterback. Was it because the offensive line couldn't protect for three seconds to give him a chance to look downfield? Probably, but... I don't know. I just felt like this team tries to run a screen and it's like somebody gets tripped up or nothing good ever happens when they try to run a screen, except for that one Kyle Phillips play, which was like him making a, a superhuman effort to run through tacklers. And 
I just feel like the fans are going to be frustrated and kind of over this whole Vrabel era because the last couple seasons have left a sour taste in our mouths and nobody really remembers the feeling of punching the Ravens in that epic uh, divisional round 2019 playoff win. Like nobody remembers the feeling. We remember the game, but we don't remember how we felt about Mike Vrabel as a coach and like this tough team, like that kind of stuff is seems to be getting old is what I'll say. Uh, I'll, I'll say this, and this couldn't be enough to deter the Titans, but uh, you talked about an offensive-minded head coach maybe bringing in excitement. I just don't know who that guy would be, and I'm sure there are candidates, but you mentioned Ben Johnson. I want to touch on him quickly. Ben Johnson's going to have his pick of the litter. I yeah. think Ben Johnson is going to get whatever job he wants. You think he would take Tennessee? I don't. Well, I don't. it depends. Be if, if it all materializes to where you get two first-round picks because you trade variable, you pick up an extra third in that trade, you have a young, exciting quarterback like Will Levis to work with, you have $100 million in cap space. Like There are things that could be attractive about this job. You get a chance to work with Rand Carthon in just his second year and together sort of build the team up in their co-vision. Like I think there are enticing elements about taking the Titans' job. But I get what you're saying that if he could pick any potential job, like would he choose the Titans? I think maybe, but it depends on how Vrabel is no longer the head coach. If he's just fired, you don't pick up any extra draft capital, then probably not. But if it is a situation where he's traded to the Patriots and you get a first and a third back for it, then hey, maybe. I also think talk to this Patriots stuff. Like the Patriots are going to pick like two overall. They're not trading the number two overall pick for Mike Vrabel. Like it's silly. I mean, maybe you get <laughs> maybe you get a 2025 first. Right. But like, then you're kicking that can another year. You don't get to see it right away. Like I, I, I think Ben Johnson's going to take a job where he's going to get to draft a quarterback and maybe I'm wrong, you know, but he's going to, I think he's going to have an opportunity to coach one of those teams that's drafting Caleb Williams or Drake might more than likely. And I think that's going to be more appealing to him. The Patriots are not trading the second overall pick in the draft, the first overall pick in the draft for Mike Vrabel. If they win a couple of games down the stretch here, which I don't think they're going to, but if they do, and they, that pick ends up being six, seven, eight, nine, ten overall later than that, maybe they consider it. They're not trading the number two overall pick for a head coach. They're, this is crazy. They're going to get a yeah. chance to take a, a quarterback with one of those picks. Like it's yeah. nuts. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so I don't know who that candidate would be. And I don't think it's Ben Johnson. Dan Quinn, you're firing Mike Vrabel for Dan Quinn. Uh, no. I'm not firing Mike Vrabel for Kellen Moore, to be honest. I, I haven't seen no. enough in Kellen Moore where I'm confident enough. There's an OC, I'll tell you this, in Arizona that interests me. Drew Petzing, but uh, again, that that's, yeah, has potential disaster written all over it because we don't know, right? So, uh, no, I, I mean, no. I'm just going to say no. Um, you want you want to touch on Will Levis? I'll just I'll just quickly say, because I don't think there's a, as you said, the evaluation is very difficult. The most difficult game of the three that he's played to evaluate him. The only thing I'll say, and I think it's a positive in his favor, is I didn't see anything that, has me concerned about his long-term outlook. There was nothing, again, a couple throws you'd like to have back maybe, but constant duress, trying to make plays for his team. I thought he hanged tough in the pocket. He made a couple good throws. Yes, a couple bad ones too, uh, but I didn't see anything based on all the elements that we're aware of. There's nothing for me to be concerned about. Yeah, same, same. I just think like this is a really tough situation to be in, especially as a rookie quarterback on the road, third career start, and you're under pressure every other drop back, if not more. What can you even do? So, um, cool. Anything else you want to touch on, or should we close this pod out? It's been 30 minutes. Uh, I, I wanted to quickly tease, because I teased, sorry, because I teased earlier the lineup changes that sort of struck mm -hmm. me as peculiar. I don't want to not say them. I mentioned the offensive line one with Rupsich coming in instead of Levin. Uh, defensively, not a big deal, but um, 
I thought it was interesting and probably a good idea, one that I didn't think of, that they started with Roger McCreary and Christian Fulton in base. As we know, McCreary has typically been the nickel corner for them this year when he's on the field, and they have Sean Murphy bunting, excuse me. I thought today that this would be um, uh, Trey Avery and Christian Fulton on the boundary with McCreary in the nickel. And then when I saw them start in base with McCreary uh, outside with Fulton, I go, oh, that's interesting. They're probably going to play Fulton in base. Sorry, they're going to play McCreary in base on the outside. Then they'll kick him to the nickel and bring in Trey Avery. Um, you know, when they go to uh, when they go to their, you know, nickel and dime sort of looks. But no, instead, they just uh, kept McCurry out there and played Eric Garrar uh, there at nickel instead of bringing in Trey Avery. Something small that I noticed that I, I didn't anticipate. And then Monty Rice playing quite a few snaps at inside linebacker ahead of Jack Gibbons once the game progressed forward. That sort of struck me as a, a I mean, again, minor surprises. I'm not a, a huge Jack Gibbons guy. I don't think it's crazy that they would look to make a change there. Maybe get a more athletic guy on the field like Monty Rice. Uh, you know, uh, Roger McCurry, I thought, played a pretty good game. But then, you know, he got beat deep on the one. They were fortunate to get an overturn on the challenge. I, I don't think that was an incomplete pass. I was shocked me they overturned neither. that. Um, <laughs> but then the very next play, he gets beat again. McCurry deep for, I think it was uh, Mike Evans this time. Uh, for yep. a big gain. So good game for McCreary. I mean, that's life as a corner. You're going to get beat on occasion. Uh, other than that, we we know this team needs corners. I, I think that's still very painfully obvious heading in. Unfortunately, they won't get to spend the entire offseason, I think, on offense because they still need corners, in my opinion. And you'll probably need uh, some pass rush. Pass rush continues to disappoint, in my opinion. Just not consistent enough. Had a couple good reps. Simmons had a couple good ones. Tart had a couple good ones. Autry had his sixth sack of the year. Still leads the team in that department. But overall, not consistent enough for what they're paying. Right, Harold Landry had a good rep or two. But again, a lot of money tied up in that D-line. And as bad as the secondary is, as bad as the offense is, you're hoping, expecting to rely on them. And they just haven't been that standard. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I will say Harold Landry very quietly has five sacks on the season, which very of, quietly. That's a surprising number. <laughs> very quietly, I would add. Um, all right. Yeah, I think that'll do it. I mean, like you said, they definitely need pieces. But overall, I'll reiterate, allowing 20 points is a winnable effort. I mean, 100 yep, percent. Especially 100%. the way that the Tampa Bay defense has performed up to this point this season. And we talked about it on the preview show that like we know you you come off a, a horrible game like that. You've lost four games in a row. Like you're gonna make changes, and they appeared to make changes, and that those changes appear to be sending a lot of pressure at Will Levis, a lot of blitzes, and I, I think generally he handled them well. But the offensive line did not. We also talked with our guest on the preview show about how their pass rush has been disappointing, and you said, "Well, hey, I got the answer for you. Face the Titans' offensive line." And he, uh, Scott Reynolds, was kind of like, "Ah." Uh, well, I don't know, because the last team we played was also allowing a lot of pressure and we didn't get any pressure home. And it's like, no, you were right, Justin, to say the recipe for having a, a lackluster pass yep. rush is to go against the Titans offensive line. And that has to change. And that'll be the biggest priority, I think, when the offseason rolls around. So we're going to I think our our conversations throughout the rest of the year are going to have that long term view in mind. We're going to have to start discussing how every game affects the draft. And uh, as we head into the afternoon window, I mentioned we're taping this right after the Titans game ended. Titans have moved up from the 10th overall pick to the 8th overall pick. So positive movement in that direction. The only good thing you can say about a loss at this point in the year is that every loss brings you closer and closer 
to Marvin Harrison Jr. or Joe Alt, and <laughs> hopefully the Titans or can come Olu Fashanu. Don't forget or Olu Fashanu. Yeah, hopefully the Titans come away with one of those three players, or hopefully they trade Mike Vrabel for the second overall pick, and they can get two of those players. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is a, a long shot. Anyway, final thoughts, Justin. You want to close this out? No. Uh... <laughs> I think we kind of covered it all. Uh, probably spent more time on it than we thought we would based on how lifeless the performance was. But uh, I'll tell you this, spoiler alert, I'll be predicting a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars next weekend. I know they got waxed by San Francisco, but that's I'll be predicting a loss next weekend. You won't catch me falling for a trap and predicting a win there against Jacksonville. As we bring on a guest, we'll be back later in the week, as you said, to preview that one. But you're right. I think going forward, a lot of these conversations will have a long-term outlook. But let's not forget Will Levis. And I, that's part of it. But we'll be doing weekly analysis of Will Levis's play as well. Yeah. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. I know this was a disappointing day, but uh, take the long view and know that this team ha- is in a better chance to improve around Will Levis and build around their young quarterback. That'll do it. Thanks for listening. You can follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're not watching on YouTube, go watch us on YouTube, please. That's all I ask. Um, All right. We'll be back, like you said, later in the week. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.